This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the 1912 Exiles podcast, the new Port County podcast made by the fans for the fans. You'll have to forgive us for not bringing you much by way of match reaction to Saturday's game against Barrow. Um, We will cover it, though, uh, probably next weekend when we discuss the Bradford game. But instead, we wanted to have a bit of a deep dive into off-the-field matters ahead of the big trust vote uh, on the 28th of September, week on Thursday. Um, We are recording this on Monday night. Obviously, at this stage, we're still a little bit in the dark about... Um, who the preferred bidder is, what their vision for the club might be, or what role they might envisage for the trust and the fans under their ownership. Um, And we may not even know the answers to some of those questions until the meeting itself, at which point we'll have to evaluate things very, very quickly before casting our votes. But what we can do at this point and what we wanted to do as a podcast is to talk a little bit about some of the principles that are at stake with this mooted change of ownership of Newport County. What are the relative merits of fan ownership versus private ownership? What does a hybrid model mean in reality? And how much uh, of a say do we think that fans and the trust might have in any new structure? Um, And I'm delighted to be joined by two podcast debutants who've got some excellent insights that will hopefully help us to answer some of those questions. So first, I'm joined by Nigel Dutson, who was chair of the Supporters Trust from 2010 until 2013 and has first-hand experience of grappling with some of these issues. Good evening to you, Nigel. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. Welcome onto the pod. And we've also got Gareth Lehman, who wrote a really excellent uh, article giving a, an objective and dispassionate al- uh, analysis of uh, the issue of giving up uh, fan ownership. And there's a link to it in the show notes. Um, so welcome to you as well, Gareth. Yeah, good evening. Cheers, Ed. Before we get going properly, it'd be really nice just to hear a little bit about each of you and um, your journey as county fans. Um, so, Nigel, why don't you start us off? What was your first county game and what's been your favourite county memory? 
Good Lord. We go way back to 1967, I'm afraid, when uh, my father with a group of friends used to go to a football game. So um, on a particular Saturday, I went to watch Workington at home, a 1-0 win, if I remember rightly. Um, my memory of it, lots and lots of rain, uh, the track around the outside of the ground flooded, uh, the ball floating as uh, they were trying to take a corner. Um, but the smell of the cigarettes, the crowd, the feeling of sort of comradeship, which was something that got me uh, as interested in football, really, as the game itself. It was that feeling of, um, yeah, companionship. Uh, my dad with his four mates and stuff like that. It's it's funny, isn't it? The 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 smells of football have changed over the years. I mean, a little bit like you, I remember as a uh, a child going to games and the smell of cigarette smoke, and in particular the smell of cigar smoke, immediately transports me to being on a football terrace. And um, you know, whilst the smoking ban has been a good thing, probably in terms of our general health, it does mean that now football grounds just smell of kind of burgers and body odour and it's not quite as attractive or, or redolent in the same way so uh great and, and what about your favorite county memory nigel it's got to be promotion back to the football league yeah there are some great goals i remember um along the way uh, tony buck scoring very very early on in my uh time of watching them which was uh uh, sort of made me f- sort of always want to shout his name out when i was playing down the park thereafter but um yeah it it's uh, got to be going back to the football league it was 25 years of hate planning pushing and then to actually finally achieve it it's just unbelievable really. and how about you gareth i've got incredibly vague memories of probably must have been the first year or two at spitty was my sort of first time watching county but the what <laughs> game and circumstances that was is probably kind of yeah lost to uh lost to time really but um aside from that i'm a bit of a johnny come lately to be honest it's not until i moved back to newport a few years ago that i really started um coming along and watching games properly so that would have been start of the 1718 season so just after the great escape which i i watched from afar before uh being around again and uh yeah chestfield first game and yeah, they say first impressions of a player is everything. Frank Newblay scored. I was going to say, Newblay scored a about, banger in that as well, didn't he's he? He's got a hat yeah. trick in about 15 minutes, I think. So, yeah, yeah first impressions. He's always uh, <laughs> always going to be a county legend in my eyes. But, yeah, I'm part of that kind of lost generation of, of county fans for whom, like, you know, growing up in Newport in the sort of early early 90s, they just weren't on the radar of anybody, anybody I played football with, anybody I went to school with. So it's quite a a recent thing and you can see that on the, the terraces a lot it's mm. like people younger than myself older than myself there's a big sort of gap in the middle that shows what happens when a football club can sort of disappear off people's radars for you know best part of two decades so yeah kind of apt for what we're talking about here yeah i was going to say that that brings us quite neatly really onto the some of the the predictions of doom if um if county fans and trust members don't vote in favor of the the change of ownership um next week so i mean let's let's get onto it and the the big decision that we've all got to help uh take a week on thursday and i, I want to throw it open to both of you to kind of set your stall out um, a, a little bit. I mean, from from what I know and what I've seen of, of both of your views, I think all of us um, hold quite dear the the romantic notion of fan ownership um, and uh, see that as something that that 
county fans and football fans generally should um, be reluctant to give up, but equally are conscious of the pragmatic challenges that that county face. So hopefully we're all coming at this from a um, a standpoint of. Uh, healthy scepticism, but open to to the arguments. Um, I, I hope I'm not kind of putting words into anyone's mouths, but um, I suspect that's probably the position a lot of county fans are in at the moment. So um, set out your stalls a little bit. What's in your mind as we approach next week's vote? And what are the factors at play in deciding which way you might go? Do, do you want to start us off, Gareth? Yeah, I mean, the, the feeling I've got at the moment, first and foremost, is just how how sort of rushed and desperate things have become in what feels like quite a short period of time. So in like, I don't know, but six last six months or so, we seem to have gone from a point of sort of the sound financial footing. We sort of coped with COVID better than a lot of teams. Uh, we're punching above our weights, given the budget that we were uh, working with. And then all of a sudden, you know, pre-season comes along or tail end of last season. And it's a case of... Um, yeah, this can't this can't continue in its current state. We need to sort of move on as as soon as we can. All the club sort of risks going to the wall. So yeah, it's been really difficult to just take a breath and fully get to grips with what is actually at, at stake here, with the rush of information, the change in circumstances. So key sort of question that I'm stuck with at the moment isn't just should we sell or who should we be selling to, but do we have to? I don't feel like that has been fully established, how desperate the situation is, whether it is a case of we need to do this now or the club risks financial oblivion. I feel like we're not coming from a sound a sound place of having the full information and being able to make that decision. I mean, that's definitely something that has been said a lot is, you know, county fans are faced with this kind of Hobson's choice of we either have to take the offer that is on the table and i think at the moment we're expecting to only hear from one preferred bidder rather than um you know a couple of offers if if they are there um and that if we don't accept the offer that is on the table then a bleak future awaits and um you know county can't pay their bills and and so on and so forth now i i wondered nigel as someone who has been a chair of the the trust in the past and has been a lot closer to these issues than most of us ever will be. I just wondered kind of what your perspective on that is and whether things are as bleak as we're being told they are. I have little doubt that they are bleak. The fact, uh, I think we probably stumbled through the end of last season. Um, They didn't want to um, uh, get the bad news out until the interim period between the two seasons. Um, and I suspect we we are going to be very very short of money, and that um, that it's probably not sustainable. I also suspect that the directors have probably run out of steam, and uh, for those that have been around the club for a long while, you can walk around the dark corridors of the Hazel Stand um, to see ex-directors um, nursing cups of tea and not pushing past you to get back involved. Um, it's a role that sucks the life out of you. I say this to my wife who works in charity jobs and stuff, that people seem to have a life of about three to five years. And after that, um, the, the hoil goes out of them and it becomes very difficult to keep dusting yourself off and going again and again. I've no doubt that there are issues. I just question a bit like Gareth, whether we've actually addressed all the possible ways in which those issues could be addressed. Just just on that point about 
volunteers and people wanting to put themselves forward to the board and board running out of steam because it, it's something that I've talked about I think on the pod before and have certainly thought about a lot is the, the fact that you know we are now in this situation is that partly down to the fact that every year when the trust AGM would come round, it would generally be quite poorly attended when there were elections you'd often have fewer people putting themselves forward than there were spaces available and so you know in in what were quote unquote the good times when we were being told that there was money around and and we were being run sustainably and we didn't have anything to worry about people really weren't paying that much interest in the goings on of of the trust and certainly weren't putting themselves forward to get involved in it and then now when we find ourselves in a difficult situation people are are very quick to kind of point fingers but when they could have got involved and and supported things they didn't i just wondered like what your take on that is as someone again who who's been close to it all the theory should be that there should be two rings of power and so at the top you've got the directors of the club that uh, take on roles to do the financial the commercial the um, general day-to-day running health and safety um and below that should be a circle of trust uh, committee as well and they should feed up into the board of directors as those spaces become available as people retire or run out of steam and i don't think that that lower tier has ever been properly looked after or maintained and whilst we were doing swimmingly that's when we should have been working really really hard to make sure that we had um, trust membership numbers growing uh, on the back of our success, and that would have provided um, regular income uh, through the whole of the season because obviously a club struggles um, in the two months when we're not playing football. Uh, by having trust members feeding in, that gives you your wages to pay between uh, the games. And I just feel that we've now been caught out by that and we're flat-footed. And uh, the guys at the top are probably sat there looking very tired, worn out with it, and you're starting to make quick um, decisions because you want to offload the issue. And I would agree with Gareth on that. I, I do think there's more that could have been done or, or should have been looked at, really. And just on that, then, if we do find ourselves in the situation where, at least as we're, as we're being told, uh, it's take the offer or we're in real trouble. If we were to go for the nuclear option and say, no, we want to stick with fan ownership, come what may how and i suppose this may be a question for for you gareth because you talked about some of these practical issues in your piece how do we address that kind of three hundred thousand a year structural deficit that, that the club faces because that feels like a real thing no matter how much many of us would like to wish it away yeah that's the thing isn't it I, that's where reality or practicality pulls even the most romantic of people towards towards giving it up it is there's no getting around that shortfall, really, is it? I'm not sure where that where that could come from, really. To be honest, it's you're talking, yeah, something that grows generationally, really. That is mm-hmm. like it, it's it's a, a season long fix that we need. If you can't live off hand to mouth, that kind of financial black hole that we were able to plug very successfully for a while with cup runs is mm-hmm. is the thing that um, unless we we suddenly have another blinding cup run or can sell a sell will evans for several million pounds which doesn't feel massively likely you know that's the short-term challenge so 
again, to kind of look to you, Nigel, if we do have to therefore look to accept some private investment as a way to stave off that initial and immediate short term challenge, how do we do that in a way that still protects the fans moral investment, if you like, within the club? First off, it won't totally solve our issue. But if we increased our trust membership up to about two and a half thousand, each paying um, a monthly fee, um, we could knock off about 50% of that debt straight away. Um, And uh, I would love to see the club pushing trust membership more and more. The people that all sit around me are ex-trust members who thought that they weren't being listened to or or there wasn't any point in doing it. And I think as it's not a fix, but it would increase our um, flow of money. Just on that point, sorry about, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just on that point about increasing trust membership and trust donations, which, uh, you know, we can all agree is the thing that, that would be good to see happen. It's something that really interests me because one of the things that's been talked about with the hybrid um, model is that as well as having private investors come in and, and bring some money to um, to put into the club, the trust will need to continue its uh, its donations towards the club's running costs. And at the last meeting, I think it was said that, you know, the aim of the trust should be to maintain its investment of £100,000 every season. I think it's a really fundamental question whether that's even that is realistic, just maintaining that current um, level of trust support, never mind increasing it, because... You know, I'm already seeing a lot of people saying, well, if we get millionaires coming in and taking over um, majority stake in the club, I'm not going to keep my five, 10, 20 quid a month going in. Mm. And whilst I don't necessarily agree with that as a sentiment, I can understand why people might take that view. So, I mean, you know, you're talking about we should be looking to grow the trust to kind of 2,000, 2,500 members. But are we not going to have the opposite battle of just trying to maintain the 1,100 or so that we've got at the moment? In my view, you can't be partially pregnant. So if we go into um, private ownership, why would you bother to invest as a fan? I I don't see it. Um, The only thing that interests me, and I don't fully understand this, I I was talking to my friend uh, Tony Pring a couple of days ago. Um, Obviously, he has an interest in Karlsruhe Jena. And there is a model in Germany that, um, maintains that the club has to be owned by the fans for 51%. Um, and I don't fully understand how that structure works in Germany, but all of those clubs, including including RB Leipzig, are 50% owned by fans. So there must be a way of keeping some fan control in place, even when uh, hideously large amounts of money are being chucked at clubs like Leipzig. Yeah, and, and you know, in, within Spain as well, there are models that see fans have, you know, a democratic say, kind of one member, one vote within elements of how how the the club is run. And Barcelona. That, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, and I think it's something that you talked about in your article again, Gareth. Is about this issue of if if we are to accept private investment, how do we use the the short term? money that's going to um, come in through private investment and the renewed sense of energy around the club. How do we use that to kind of reimagine what we do as a, a, a club within its community? And how do we make sure that the fans voice within that remains strong and meaningful? Yeah, that is um, one of the 
sort of alarm bells for me with the the hybrid model is this um, demand for supporters to still make a financial contribution without having majority control is that fans end up acting as a sort of financial guarantor of the club's existence uh, without any of the control that full ownership would give you. So the the new owners, they can sort of come and go as, as they please. We're the ones that are footing the bill, as it were, at the end of the day. So it sounds like, yeah, the worst of both worlds in, in one sense, but there's also the possibility if we continue um, keeping up that financial contribution to use that as, as leverage as much as we can to make sure we are exerting an influence over the owners. I mean, how might we use that leverage for, uh, you know, to, to improve things? Because I thought this was one of the things I thought was most compelling about your article was actually it's not just about who owns what, it's about what sort of club do we want to be and how can we try to use this decision that we're grappling with at the moment and the conversations around it how can we use that to try and reimagine the sort of club that Newport County is so I, I don't know you expand on that for me yeah and perhaps that is a you know a demand that could be made or a question that could be asked at, at, at the upcoming meeting or in future conversations with with new ownership is that yeah we can have some say in how that money gets spent or what the club what the club will be that's what this 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 whole situation feels like it's a bit of a referendum on what you want a football club to be, whether it's a, a social enterprise or a or a commercial one, but we can have we can have some say in that. We can have some influence in that by say, you know, if we're going to con- continue to contribute hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, some of that should be going towards laying down some tangible infrastructure for the club. I mean, that for me is the biggest worry with the whole thing. It's not that the people we've got interested in the club at the moment aren't good, honourable people who want the best for Newport County. I have no doubt at all that they do. The problem is that once you give up 51% of ownership of the club, you can't control who that good person then sells to. And yeah. you you can quite easily find yourself in a situation, as many clubs have, where a good owner sells to a not-so-good owner who sells to an even worse owner who sells to a right-wrong one. And then suddenly you're in a Jerry Sherman type situation and you once again, then it ends up being the fans who have to bail you out next time round. And I think I I saw you, Nigel, kind of saying something along those lines. You know, if you look at um, experiences of plenty of other clubs, including some within our own league. I could sort of give you a list really, but um, Gretna, remember Gretna being um, uh, an enterprise by a guy who fancied a bit of a hobby forced them through the Scottish leagues and then sadly died of a heart attack. And his wife looked at the accounts when she'd uh, buried him and said, good Lord, I don't want anything to do with football. I don't like football. And that was the end of Gretna, just gone like that. You could say the same with Hornchurch, who started to rush through the non-leagues and then the window business went out of business and Hornchurch went with it. Or Colm Dynamo's... Um, again, rocketed through the league so much so that Burnley fans were worried about them. Um, and then he started to get abuse at home. His children were being bullied at school, so he withdrew his funding from the club. And I only use those as examples to show that it isn't just about um, somebody selling on. There are circumstances that happen to um, private owners that um, mean that uh, they can no longer invest in your football club. So you are at the behest of one person, and that worries me. Whereas as a fan-owned club, um, our supporters 
um, are spread wide. So if one stops paying, it doesn't really affect the general overall input into the club. So um, I like the idea of that community-based thing. Um, As a proud Welshman and person from South East Wales, um, the Chartists, the working together, um, the community feel of um, South East Wales, I I think it sits well with our club. And and it obviously sits well with quite a few of the Welsh clubs because Wrexham had uh, Supporters Trust and Swansea. Um, It was the Supporters Trust that drove them from 2002 onwards. Um, so the, you know there there is some historical background to it. it. It makes something about where this club comes from. And just just to unpack one point a little bit, because as you know, I said at the top, we're not going to get into the specific details of the the bids, partly because we don't know them, but also because I think it's more interesting to have a discussion about some of the general principles. But I do just want to ask this one point because um, there have been apparently two you know major bids that came in um and as i understand it the one that we see next week will be the the one offer that the existing trust board decides is the preferred bidder and that person will get to outline their um the details of their bid and their vision to us but you know a lot of people are saying well look if there's two bids that have made it to this point should we not hear from both of those bids at least so that we can compare and contrast a little bit you know and we can still know which one is the recommended or preferred bid but is is there a danger do either of you think that by only having one bid in front of us that whatever happens 12 months down the line there will always be people who will say well we should have gone with the other guy why did they never get to to be in front of us and I just wondered and again you perhaps may be in a better position to answer this Nigel the thinking behind that and the potential implications of it. It's always um, a line to be drawn where, um, you know, fans say, um, well, we want to know what the players' wages are, why um, Santa wasn't paid more, what we got for a sale. That has to be private and that has to be kept uh, within the business. However, as our representatives at board level, I think the trust members deserve to at least know the outlines of what the two offers were and a broad outline on why one offer was chosen above the other. Now, it may just be scanty details such as one offered more money or um, it was a sounder proposition, but at least I think that explanation should be given to us rather than, like you said, a black hole, a question mark, just hanging over the, the whole offer. And it just leaves you open to um, just ongoing queries and questions, which would be best quashed now, I would feel. It does feel like it puts an unnecessary amount of pressure on, on the situation. It turns it into a bit more of a take it or leave it, sort of do or die situation where it's this is who we've chosen, it's, it's this or, or nothing. I'm not sure why we've gone down that road. I don't know whether it's the, at the request of the, the prospective uh, parties. I don't know. I just feel like everything has been funneled towards uh, the taking of, of of the vote, pointing it towards going for the private option is the kind of default. Whereas the to me, it's about it has a question of where the risk lies. It just becomes a fifty fifty thing, like stay or go, and it's it's, it's just mud, yeah muddies the water of what we're actually talking about here. Uh, before I come back to you both for some you know sort of closing thoughts, um, we did put this out to uh, listeners 
uh, at the back end of last week, I think, and said, you know, for you as fans of the club and trust members potentially, what's the biggest factor that will determine how you cast your vote. And we had some really interesting responses and I think it's worth going through them. Uh, so in no particular order, uh, Hamid, friend of the pod, said um, the reputation of the prospective owners and ideally previous experience of managing a professional sports club. Um, Ollie said, I'm interested to see what the three, five and 10 year plans look like. It's all well and good coming in and spending a bit of money now, but how much will be spent down the line? Will they look for the club to become self-sufficient um, and will we be reliant on player sales? Um, so some, yeah, I think really good point there about how do you make this model um, sustainable so that we're not having to look for yet further private investment just down the line. Uh, Andy Lawrence uh, said, honestly, for me, as long as it's a sound businessman, um, such as Hugh Jenkins, um, David Buttress, John Pratt, etc., the rest will fall into place. The board, the, the board already have indicated that people are known. In short, as long as it's not a random consortium in the style of uh, Crawley and a proposal then it's a yes from me so he's one of the more enthusiastic people i thought this was a really good point from uh yian richards on twitter probably not um the biggest factor but for me it'll be important how much value the new uh people place on the off the field stuff county in the community outreach in schools etc um it shows whether they see us as being more than just a football club and i think this was something gareth that you um wrote about you know about those community links being really important yeah, I think with us, it's 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 a it's a genuine thing. It's it's almost more reason for the football club existing than anything that goes on the pitch in a way. But that comes back to that question of what a football club is, whether it's a, a social endeavor for a social good of the community or a, or a commercial one. I would like to think those things will continue. There's something really to be proud of to just do those things because they they're good things to be doing. Um, I just want to go through a few more listener comments. So uh, Simon James, a little bit like Ollie, said he wants to know the now, soon, later plan. Um, how do we consolidate and build on uh, our foundation? Anthony Evans, who's the first one to make this point about the stadium. We need something that gives us long-term security, whether that's a long lease, a joint partnership, or an opportunity to have a stake in Rodney Parade that gives us opportunities to grow the club into something uh, sustainable. And then, uh, again, we also had a load of people on uh, Facebook it seemed to me people on Facebook were, were slightly more hawkish in terms of wanting private investment than Twitter, where it's a bit more nuanced. So on Facebook, uh, Pamela said, uh, we change and change now. I can see an iceberg ahead. Chris Collins, I want to be sure that the personal persons that take over the club are in for the long haul. Um, Tony Carver, promises need to be written into the contract and have a resale clause. So, yeah, the, the, the uncertainty, I think, a concern for him. Chris Davis, who's been very vocal about this, was talking about the fact it's a one-horse race. We don't know the names of the other runners, which we've we kind of covered. So before we wrap up, chaps, I want to give you each of you a sort of chance to draw some conclusions, really, based on some of, of what we've said and other things that you've been thinking and conversations that you've had. And I suppose to answer that same question that we put out to fans, what what's the biggest factor for you as we come... Uh, around to next week's vote what will be the thing foremost in your mind as you decide which way you're going to go so um nigel I'll, I'll come to you first i need to be sold to and what i want to hear is that there is a plan and the plan that we can't currently talk our way around or visualize is how the supporters fit in with their vision for the following five ten years and if they can really sell it to me that there is some future where uh, us as a community club, us as supporters, 
but also our club and its current status can be maintained and run in a way that I would feel comfortable with, then I would be willing to move away from my scepticism. At the moment, I can't imagine what that plan is, which probably is my fault, not theirs. Um, and the rumour is, of course, that it may be some um, group based around the, the crowd that took over Swansea. Um, and if that is the case, they would have an understanding of how trusts could bed in, um, although I suspect they'd also point that uh, no trust club has ever played above League One, isn't it? Because yeah. obviously Exeter have gone up and so did Wimbledon. But there is a question mark about whether the trust formula works at the higher level once you get just silly money involved. And so I'm, I've am i already booked my place at the meeting and that's what I'd be looking to, to, to want to hear. Something that makes me think, oh, I can see that, that'll work and I, well, I, they will then get my backing. None of the people who are being mentioned are names that you would say are, are problematic. You know, Hugh Jenkins had experience at, at Swansea, David Buttress involved obviously with the Dragons, um, John Pratt, you know, businessman from Newport. You know, they, they, they're all wealthy individuals and they've all got different things to recommend them. And so in that sense, it comes back to what I said before, all of the options potentially are are good ones so it isn't so much about are we selling to um people who are capable it's about the principle which is why we have this discussion of of what is the the long-term plan and how do we make sure that the fan voice remains a meaningful one the one asset we haven't got is a ground yeah and so that um alters what is the normal problem with um, people being interested in your club is that you you are eventually going to find a block of flats on there in 10 years time at the, in theory at the moment that isn't going to be an issue so in they should be coming to us with just a love of football and what they can do with a football club that's my hope yeah how about you gareth for me it's about um establishing which direction carries the greater risk really there's the you've got the risk on the one hand of going for the private private direction and in which case you're we end up in a like it or lump it situation with we're just along for the ride at that point we can just sit back and hope that um the owners do right by the football club but we've got no real meaningful influence over that so is it worth the risk of letting the club loose into the world and hoping for the best versus the risk of can we as a as a supporter base as a as a community club do what is necessary in terms of finances and organization to keep the club going and that to me feels less of a risk in terms of us having full control over that situation it is up to us to make that work whether it's realistic at this point for us to make that work is is a whole other question so i think for me if 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 i decide to go with the voting in favor of of selling up it'll be pushed from that direction rather than being pulled towards any sort of promises that are coming our way. And I think it's important to think about as well, as you both alluded to, that we only get to make this decision once. We are only deciding who this owner is going to be. What happens after that is is um, we're just hostages to fortune after that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's about what is the meaningful voice that fans retain in the club and how meaningful that is. I think that will be critical. And 
because we aren't going to have a lot of time to think about this, right? As, as as I understand it, we may get a bit of information ahead of the meeting, but most likely we will get the, the opportunity at the meeting to hear a little bit more about their vision, ask some questions and try and interrogate and kick the tyres of the proposal. But we then basically have to vote straight away. So it will be partly about how candid they are. If there are things that are left for future determination, then that won't give me a huge amount of, of faith. I think we need to know in a lot of detail what's being proposed so that we can have confidence in it. I really just yeah want to make sure that uh, the offer that is given to us is well looked at and has had due diligence run over it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, listen, both of you, thank you very much for coming on and, and having this conversation. I'll give you an opportunity to finish with any uh, shout-outs or beefs. So, uh, Gareth, any, any shout-outs, any beefs? Well, to bring it back to sort of on-field matters slightly, there's a big shout out to Graham Coughlin and the the play, uh, the coaching staff, and you know, whoever was responsible for appointing them. I know you know the board come in for a lot of flack, some warranted, maybe some not warranted, but I think they completely nailed that decision because I don't think we could have had a better manager for the situation we find ourselves in at the moment. And I think um, you know if we were coming to this vote, propping up the table as a lot of people expected us to be at this point the vote would seem even more desperate excellent how about you nigel um as a person that queued at a gig for about an hour to get in while somebody manually checked all our tickets i'd like to uh, shout out to our ticket entry system with the readers on the mobile phones it's fantastic no more trying to burst your 16 stone through the turnstile. <laughs> Just a quick flash of the mobile phone and you're in. I think it's brilliant. And whoever sourced that and, and it actually works, fantastic. There we go. And neither of you have any beefs. This is this is a, a first for the pod if, we, if we're beefless. Yeah, first, I was thinking about it. I was feeling quite diplomatic, I think. I don't know. I was going to, yeah, I was, we could go for the low lying fruit of the standard of officiating in League Two yes. after the weekend that kind of dominated. <laughs> God, but I mean, I'm, ironically, I'm, I'm contributing to it because I'm just so bored that that is the outcome of, of a lot of League Two games. I have one beef. I'd just like to um, have a weekly or monthly announcement of what our trust membership numbers are. Please tell us it drives enthusiasm. So if it starts to rise, other people think it's worth something joining. That's a that's a, a very very good point. Well, uh, maybe we'll get a, no doubt we'll get an update next week at the uh, at the meeting about what the current number is. Yeah. Um, thank you both, Nigel and Gareth, for coming onto the pod, um, and thanks to all of you as always for listening. Um, don't forget you can support the pod by donating the price of a cup of coffee to us at our Ko-Fi account. Um, there's a link in the show notes. And you can also leave us nice reviews wherever you get your podcast from. We will be back with a look at On The Pitch Matters uh, soon, hoping to record something after the Bradford game at the weekend. But until then, look after yourselves, look after each other. And as always, keep it counting. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.